Welcome to the SCG Church Young Adults Podcast, where we get to bring you sermons and content to help you bring you closer to Jesus, develop your faith, and just figure out life. Join us Sunday nights at 7 p.m. in the SCG Church Warehouse for our young adult services, or at our general services Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 10 a.m. We hope you enjoy. All right, um, hey, if you got a Bible, I want you to go with me to Galatians chapter 4. And if you don't get a Bible, we'd love to give you one. Uh, you can grab one um, at that table because uh, we're hopping into it today. Now, uh, as you turn to Galatians chapter 4, uh, let me kind of give you some context of what's been happening. We are in uh, chapter 4 of Galatians, which means we are halfway through our series through the book of Galatians uh, entitled Standing on Grace. Now, why are we more than halfway through? Well, because there's only six chapters in the book of Galatians, and uh, we are going through all six. Now, I'll be up front with you. We're not doing a, uh, a total verse-by-verse teaching tonight. I think there's 31 verses, and uh, as I read it this last week, I was like, there is way too much. And so um, we're only going to do a section of Galatians today. I know in weeks past, I've done literally every single verse. There's way too much content. I felt like if I was going to try and attempt to like tell you everything, we would be here for like seven days. Or if I just tried to make it 30 minutes, I would tell you nothing of significance. And so we're going to do the first six or so verses in Galatians. I think we're maybe going to seven. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, But a few things. Uh, A guy named Paul wrote the book of Galatians about... 50 or so A.D., about 15 years after the death and ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven, and uh, he wrote it to a, a region of churches that he helped start three or so years before this. And so the churches that he helped start was in a region called Galatia. I know it sounds like, a, like the capital of Antarctica. It's not. It's actually in southeastern modern Turkey. He helped start all these churches and, uh, uh, in, in Galatia. So it would be like me writing to, like, I don't know, Southern California or South County or, um, or L.A. County or something like that. Now, this is unique for Paul because he would often write to very specific churches, Corinthians or something like that. This is to a region, a plethora of churches, right? And this letter was actually designed to be like, uh, like st- someone would stand up on a stage and uh, they would read this letter uh, uh, aloud. And that's how kind of this epistle, this letter was supposed to be uh, uh, shared in some sense. Now, uh, over the weeks, we've been kind of discovering one thing. Paul, through the book of Galatians, wants us to learn one thing about God. That is God's grace for you. That is that God has grace for you and that we are saved only by Jesus Christ. Nothing else saves you. No other religion saves you. No other worldview saves you. Worshiping the stars is not going to save you. That there is this real condition of heaven and hell and that sin is a problem and that only Jesus can save. That's what he is trying to articulate chapter after chapter, chapter after uh, chapter. He also wants to teach us that Jesus is greater than anything we're tempted to leave him for. Right, anything that this world has to offer, that cute guy that's in a frat or, uh, or whatever it is, right? Like he's better than any, any job, any amount of money, winning the lottery, Bitcoin taking off, whatever. Better than anything that this world has to offer, that Jesus is better than any of that. And that's what he's going to be teaching us in weeks to come as well. Now, over the last few weeks, we've been discovering together that this guy named Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, different dude, also a cool guy, but Martin Luther, the father of the Protestant Reformation, loved the book of Galatians. He felt that it equipped him to actually write against the teachings of the Catholic Church 500 years ago. Because he believed that after he read the book of Galatians that the Catholic Church was adding some things and some traditions and some rituals like indulgences, for example, that like you needed to pay a priest uh, to allow your relatives to go to heaven to get out of purgatory. Uh, You needed to confess to a priest in a little box um, and a plethora of other things like, yo, that's not in here. Like, why are you guys adding that in here? Even being baptized, like, you need to be baptized to wash away sin. That's not in here either. So he writes 95 theses and hammers them on a church wall and is like, yo, 
let's, let's fight about it. Like, you guys are, you guys are all, you're wilding. This ain't, this ain't, this isn't what the Bible's about, right? And so that's kind of what happened with Martin Luther. Now, uh, Paul wrote in a very similar sense the whole book of Galatians. He was writing to a group of people that in, infiltrated these churches 2,000 years ago that said, you need to, uh, you need to add something to Jesus to be saved. You need to become a good Jew and then become a good Christian. You need to follow all of the Old Testament regulations and laws and rules about how your hair is supposed to look, about you can't eat shellfish and go to sushi, and you can't do any type of stuff, right? And it started to aggravate Paul because the truth is we're saved by our grace, by God's grace through our faith in Jesus Christ, nothing else. No, no rules, no laws, no regulations. And what these people want to do was add all of the Old Testament laws, 613 of them. I'm sure you know the Ten Commandments. You at least heard of them. There's 613 laws that come from there, almost 625 in the whole entire Old Testament. A lot of laws. And so, um, yeah, Paul's writing uh, against these people. They were called the Judaizers. We learned about them in week one. Now, in terms of very specific context, Paul has just been kind of explaining to them the purpose of the Old Testament law, the bigger overarching plan that the reason God gave Moses the laws, the tablets, he gave them iPads 2,000 years ago, right, and from the mountain, right, and it had all these 10 commandments and all these rules and, and things like that, the whole purpose that God did that. And last week, Paul told us that the law was not ultimately given to be a ladder on which you and I could climb to God. Rather, the law was ultimately given to be a thermometer or a Call it a PCR test to show us how sick we actually are because of our sin. That was the purpose of the law. We're going to talk about that in a second. But before we journey where I want to go, I'm going to give you a question. I want you to go way back to when you were in sixth grade. Some of you guys, that was like not that long ago, like six years ago. Uh, for me, it was like I'm 29, so it was a really long time ago. Uh, and so here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to some neighbors. Here's the question. I think I have a slide for it. When you were in sixth grade, what did you think your life would look like at your current age today? All right? And did you nail it? Right? Did you write astronaut and Elon Musk hired you? Like, what is it? Right? Like, 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 did you nail it? Or is it any different? Were your expectations met? Things like that. So turn to Scott for a minute with some people at your table. Ready, set, go. All right, all right, bring it up, bring it up, bring it up. Sixth grade. What did you think your life would look like? Dear diary in sixth grade, what did it, what did it look like? Any volunteers? What's up? Okay, you thought you were going to be married? Yeah, yeah. Anyone else? You thought you'd be playing in this year's World Cup, all right. What's up? You're, you're trying to be an astronaut, and what do you do? <laughs> you asphalt, kind of similar, but anyways. All right, uh, anyone else? Sixth grade. <laughs> okay, anyone else? A police officer, like your dad. His office. Mr. Mike is the best. Anyone else? You're going to be in the Summer Olympics? All right. Did any of your lives, raise your hand if you nailed it, like in sixth grade, you perfectly planned out your life? Raise your hand if it did not perfectly come together the way you thought. Sick. Welcome to the club. All right. Uh, tonight, here's, what we're, here's today's story. It's all about growing up. Now, um, for those of you guys that don't know, I had a kid, um, like what, four months ago? Four months ago, Chell? Hopefully, hopefully. I can't do math. Her birthday is two two twenty two. All right, fire birthday. Um, and uh, and she's here tonight actually uh, in the back. Hey, bring her up like like Simba. Sick. It's my little girl. What's up, girl? All right. Uh, <laughs> um, so her name's Noelle. She's captured my heart and uh, she's awesome. Now uh, my wife and I we often kind of think we 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 kind of like dream about what her life's gonna be like one day, right? Like who's she gonna marry? She's not going to ever. But. Uh, like, you know, like, what was she going to do with her life, right? Is she, gonna, is she going to, you know, be an astronaut or, like, work in an asphalt company? Like, what is her life going to be like? Uh, <laughs> um, no, it's cool, bro. You make a lot of money. Um, 
and you know, like, we often think, like, like I wonder what, wonder what she's going to be like when she's older, right? Like, and I just kind of like thinking about that. Because, you know, like, right now, like, you know, she's four months, so I don't know really what, what her personality is. She just, like, giggles and smiles, which is, like, I guess a pretty cool personality, you know? She's probably the life of the party. Um, but I like to think about the future, right? And if you ask any kid what they want, they're going to give you one answer. I want to be older. Well, for me, it was older and taller. But most kids, they just want to be, they just want to be older, right? And they dream about getting a license one day. You guys remember that, right? Like, you remember, like, seeing people drive, and you're like, what would that be like, you know? And now all your friends like, hey, can you drive? You're like, no. Um, they, they dream about getting a job, which is like, why, the, why would you ever want, you know? And then paying taxes, which is awesome. And then uh, whatever. They, they dream about what they're going to do with their lives when they get older. Now, somewhere sometime long ago, or maybe last week for you, you crossed from being a child into an adult. Now, the marker is different for many of us, right? Now, it could be graduating high school. It could be buying your first car or living on your own or getting married or whatever it may be, right? But we all have metrics in which we kind of feel like, I am no longer a child. I am now kind of an adult, kind of. Now, today's section of Scripture is rooted in a time in which growing up had real significance in society, in culture, in law, and even in religion. In modern America, right, we, we don't really have these events, nor do we celebrate turning from a child into an adult. It kind of just happens, right? Like, we graduate high school, and we're expected to know, like, what a credit score is. You know what I'm saying? Like, and like what, how to write checks and how to do your taxes and, and all these other things. And you're expected to navigate an adult world with real no help from society and maybe even marginal help from mom and dad. But this isn't the way that it always was. In fact, in Judaism, a child passes from, ch- uh, uh, from childhood to adulthood shortly after their 12th birthday. It's called the bar mitzvah. And it actually means they're son or daughter of the law. It means now they're responsible to not just the judicial law that governs, you know, the area. For us, it's California or the United States of America. Um, but also the law of God, the, 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 the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, things like that. But it also means that they are now responsible for their actions. And they are now responsible before God for their relationship with God. In other words, there's a sense of ownership. When you kind of think about it, when you're a kid, you're kind of renting a lot of things from your parents. I mean, you're renting their food. Uh, you're renting their, their house, their space. And in some sense, the way, like, you're kind of renting their faith if you grew up in a faith-based house. They're the ones taking you to church. They're the ones that are, like, if you had a family, did devotionals at, at, at dinner or something like that. They're the ones that are kind of doing all the hard work. But there comes a time in our lives in which God says, all right, you're no longer a child. You're responsible for this now. Own your faith. No longer rent it. Now, in modern American culture, we actually have a Greek influence, weirdly enough. Because in Greek culture, the minor became an adult at age 18. Now, at this age of 18, um, they would go to the festival, uh, festival of Apatora, and the minor passed from a child of his father to a child of the state, and they had responsibilities to the state. They had to pay taxes, super cool, but then every single male, this will be, if, if you pass the years of 18 and you're a male in this room, every male that, that was 18 and onward had to sign up for the draft. And this is actually why we do it today at the age of 18, because we have a Grecian in, uh, influence on American culture. Now, in the Roman custom and culture, there was no specific age when the son became a man. It happened when the father thought the boy was ready. And it happened on March 17th each and every single year. So you can imagine sons and daughters, it happened for both of them on March 17th, and they would kind of just look to their dad. Is this the day? They're at this big, big, massive um, party, and uh, it was called the Festival of Liberlia. And uh, the, the, the guys, when the father would turn over and said, this is, your, this is your moment, son, right? He would, like, stand up, you know, and have to give a talk or whatever it is. They would give, they'd be giving a new toga. The toga was called the toga of Virilis. And so he's like, I don't know, it's like, a, like the toga that Chad wears at a frat party. That's kind of like what it looks like, right? Uh, it's like, that's exactly, honestly exactly what it looks like, right? And it was a custom on that day that the girls would often up their childhood dolls and the boys would often up their very favorite ball as a way to show that they're putting childish things behind them and they're moving forward into adulthood. 
Now, we're going to see in chapter 4 today in Galatians that Paul is kind of drawing a picture of our relationship with God using the concept of growing up, passing from a period of being a child to adulthood in the eyes of God, where you become responsible for the totality of your life and the responsibility of, of developing a relationship with Him. Now, sadly, in our world, this often takes place at the same time where most young adults come of age to almost ruin their lives. I think many of us could probably agree, maybe not for you, but you got a friend, that some of the most destructive years in the most Americans' lives is their four years in college, right? They use these years unwisely, develop patterns and, and habits that enslave them. See, the things, that enslave, the, the things you mess around with when you're young will enslave you when you're old. Like, no one thinks like a 50-year-old that's an alcoholic and is smoking is like, that's the guy you want to be, right? But they developed the framework of that when they started that their freshman year of college or wherever else they, they started that, right? Yeah, I think this happens because we have this subconscious belief, right, that culture, I think, is impressed upon us, that life kind of happens later, right? Kids happen later, marriage happens later, even death happens later. And so the big questions of life, I don't even think about them now. Like, where am I from? Origins. Where do I go when I die? Destiny. What is right and what is wrong? Morality. And why am I here? Why does my heart beat inside of my chest? That's purpose and meaning and existence and things like that. So oftentimes, we have been taught to kind of look at our 20s, kind of this like in-between stage where we kind of get to have fun, right? And we kind of get to party and drink and date, maybe spend more than we have and don't really have to think, we don't have to really invest in our faith and we kind of, kind of just live it up. And the reality is because I think that we have this underlying belief that kind of adulthood is just a little bit later for us, you know? Like it's not now, it's probably somewhere closer to 30. So your 20s is kind of this in-between stage where you can kind of just be a little bit irresponsible. In fact, the media has picked up on that for those of you guys that are millennials and Gen Z, which is all of us. They've called us kidults, but here's the problem with all of this. Studies show, and I want you to hear this, 80%, 80% of life's most defining decisions take place within the first 10 years after you graduate high school. 80% of life's most defining decisions take place the 10 years after you graduate high school. Actually, the study is from 16 to 26. That's crazy to think about, and that's kind of scary to think about. I've given you an illustration that we are like... We, you're younger than me, but you guys are like, like a plane taking off. The smallest alteration in course now has dramatic implications of where you land. So if you're taking off at LAX and you just do one degree south, you're not going to end up in Argentina, you're going to end up in Antarctica, right? In an entirely different place. Because you're, in the, you're just in the scaffolding of your life. So it's important that you make wise decisions now. And so I want you to keep that in the back of your mind, the concept of growing up. And when you grow up, there's a shift that happens in responsibility, right? You're no longer under your parental authority or parental care. That there's, there's, there's a way that your life changes when you start to grow up. That's what he's talking about in Galatians 4. There's a change that happens in your relationship with God when you start to grow up. And God wants us to grow up. I want you to follow with me in the book of Galatians chapter 4. Um, I'm only doing a few verses today. We're going to do this one just really quick. Follow with me. It says, I mean that the heir, as long as he's a child, is no different from a slave. It's kind of weird, right? So you, have, you uh, follow with me. I'll, I'll, I'll explain it in a second. Though he's the owner of everything, but he is under guardians or managers until the date set by his father. So I want you to kind of envision with me there's a wealthy ancient household, right? And the young boy is destined to inherit all the father has. Now, when the boy is just a child, he doesn't really have that much autonomy. He doesn't really have that much authority. Not even uh, like a, like a, a high-ranking slave in his household probably had more 
uh, influence and more authority and more uh, capacity to make decisions. Now, when we hear the word slave, we think of something like from what happened in American, uh, in American history and culture, and it's not that at all. That's horrific. Um, what happened back, the word slave, it means um, indentured servant. So it's entirely different than the concept of slavery that we have today. But anyways, when you think about it, the boy, if he's just a child, he has less today, day-to-day freedom than, the, than, than a high-ranking slave has. He can't make decisions on his own, and he's subject to what his guardians, which would be a tutor or a, a babysitter, can say. In some sense, the way the child is still enslaved to rules, they are not free. That's what he's talking about here. The child is still enslaved to a set of rules they are living, and they are not completely free. Keep that in the back of your mind, because that's going to mean something in a second. The next passage in uh, Galatians um, three, or 4 and 3 uh, are often used for Christmas. I've heard a lot of pastors talk about this, because it's a picture of our condition before Christ. Now, I want you to pause really quick. I want you to go back to maybe week 1 and 2. We talked about this, this thing called the law, right? I talked about the 613 laws of the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments. You probably heard the story of Moses, let my people go, whole party in the red water. It's a whole crazy thing, right? He's got a wicked beard, right? That, you probably heard the story, right? Now, uh, the whole purpose of the law, the whole reason that God gave the law in the first place was to kind of show us that we need a Savior, that we're not mistakers who need a second chance, that we are sinners who need a Savior. I said that last week. Now, it operated like a mirror, to show us our brokenness and our sinfulness. In other words, the law made us aware that we are deserving of hell. But Paul's going to teach us in the book of Galatians that because of the cross or the gospel of Jesus Christ, it can make us aware that we can get heaven, even though we deserve hell. If you follow with me in verse 3, it says this, in the same way we also, so he's using a, a, a physical um, description of a slave and a child and a father, now teaches a spiritual principle. In the same way, when we were children, we were enslaved to the highlight elementary principles of the world. You read the Bible and you're like, what is it talking about, right? I was like, I read this and I was like, I have no idea what this is talking about. It's an interesting phrase here. When he wrote elementary principles, he isn't talking about like fire, wind, rock, and whatever, like he's like an avatar or something. That's not what he's talking about. He uses a Greek word, stokeion, or stokeia is the word he uses. And a stokeion was a, originally a line of things. It could it mean, for instance, a line of soldiers marching in tune. But it also means cause and effect. It means a way of life. It means the way that the world operates. It eventually evolved over history to simply mean, the word stokeion, the ABCs of the universe. Now, Eastern religions kind of picked up on this, this cause and effect thing, and they call it karma. It's a karmaic kind of thing. You get what you deserve. Now, the Bible simply calls this sin. See, the principle here that Paul wants us to see, the elementary principle he's talking about, is that there's this principle that governs all people. And I need you to hear this because this is, what, this is the foundation of everything he's about to say, that every single person that has ever been born, that's ever lived, the governing principle of our lives is our natural default is not heaven. That's offensive and it's supposed to be, that our natural default is hell because of sin. David said in, in the book of Psalms, I was conceived in sin. Before my first breath, before my very first action, my heart was separated from God. That is the consequence of sin. Sin causes death. I've told you what death is before. Many of you have experienced death in a family before. Death is a separation of things that ought not to be separated. What is physical death? Physical death is our physical bodies from our souls. God never wanted the world to be like that. God never wanted you to experience death in any sense of it. And so physical death is our, is our physical bodies from our soul. There's a separation that happens. Our body decays. And then spiritual death is a worse type of death. It's our souls from heaven. It's our souls from our creator. And this is an elementary principle. It is a universal law that governs all people that we do not have the power to change. And that is what's wrong with the world, and that's what's wrong with inside the human heart. And that's not good news. That there's something inside you that will separate you and disconnect you from God forever. In fact, you are a slave to this principle. You cannot undo it no matter what you do. He's going to tell us the good news in a second. But I think just if we could pause really quick, I think we could all agree for a second that the world is broken. 
Right? There's a lot of evil in the world. Just click on any news and you'll see it. Whether it's global wars or sexual abuse or mass shootings that continue to happen at expedited rates. We all know there's something wrong with our world. In fact, throughout human history, humans have tried to correct what was wrong. Now, some thought, well, it, the evil came from a lack of education. Right? If we could bring up the education level of the entire world, starting with us and starting with the rest of the world, if we could just get people to know better facts, have higher cognitive ability, whatever it may be, if we could just provide education for people, the world's going to be better. Some thought that it could be, the evilness of this world could be solved with good jobs. If we could bring minimum wage up or universal health care and, and, and the world's, um, uh, yeah, if the, the Medicare or, or the medical care of the world was better, the craziness and the evilness of this world would stop. Other people thought if we could bring democratic government throughout the world, right, if people could just vote for who their leaders were, then the world would be a better place, right? But then we realized that even the educated, healthy, wealthy, and well-governed people do terrible things. In fact, they're often the people who do the most terrible things. See, education just made evil people a little bit more clever. Science and technology brought about some great things, but it also brought about really bad things like the atomic bomb, cybercrime, or medical procedures that kill the unborn. See, democracy, education, and science are all good things, but the truth of the matter is they're not going to fix the hole inside the human heart. They're not going to fix what's wrong with the fundamental part of our human nature. And then there's a personal level. So that's like a cosmic level of it, right? But then there's a personal level of brokenness. We all have areas in our lives in which we have tasted or felt brokenness before. Maybe you came from a broken household. Mom and dad didn't invest in you. Or they, 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 they pursued other things. Or they were a workaholic. Maybe they were an alcoholic. Maybe you had a mom or a dad that stepped out on each other. And that created a whole host of problems because adultery always does. And so you're, you were spent your entire childhood going from household to household to household to household. And it was just crazy for you. You grew up in a broken house. Maybe you have an addiction that you can't stop. It's addiction to porn. Most of the men in this room are addicted to porn. Or a plethora of other addictions. You can't, you can't stop looking at it. You can't, whatever it is. Or maybe you just have, you, you have this inner sense of emptiness that you feel. All people do, by the way. All people, if you would just quiet your mind, know that something is wrong with the world around us. And so we try to fill our hearts with nice things. Spending more than our means. If I could just get the new thing, it'll energize me. Or maybe you fill it with drugs and alcohol or relationships, constantly going from guy to guy, girl to girl, whatever it may be, or maybe it's sex, whatever it may be. The principle here that Paul's talking about is the brokenness is so per per pervasive and entrenched in the human soul that we can't fix it. And that is because the brokenness stems from being disconnected from our Heavenly Father. That, that's where, the, that's where the, all of the problems on the entire planet and the human heart have existed. And way back in our third page of Genesis chapter 3, when we disconnected ourselves from the very sustainer of love and joy and peace and grace and mercy and life itself, and goodness. When you separate yourself from the author and sustainer of all that, you get everything he is not. By the way, that is exactly what hell is. I have no idea if hell has red people running around with pitchforks. I have no idea. But what I do know hell is, is a place where God is not present. And so if God is the source of all that is good, hell is a place where he is void and not there, then it's a place of heartache. It's a place of depression and anxiety and worry. The truth is, most people will live hell up. In other words, the closest to heaven they will ever get is here. And so they're experiencing depression and anxiety and worry and a plethora of other things. And yes, I absolutely believe in that sin has affected the neurochemistry of the brain. And my, my wife has shared stories um, with our high school ministry of how she was on medication for years because of it. And, and, and thank God that modern medical science has created that type of stuff, right? But the truth is we either get to live hell up or heaven down. That's a choice that you get to make each and every single day. We'll talk about that more in a second. 
But to borrow from the illustration that I used last week, if you weren't here, I'll, I'll redraw the illustration. I said that faith is like a tightrope. I gave you a story of Charles Blondin in, in uh, 1879. He crossed Niagara Falls, and he did it on a tightrope, a three-inch cable that was 1,100 feet long. And he would do this balancing like this. He could barely balance on his two-by-four. He'd balance all the way 1,100 feet with volunteers on his back. What kind of idiot do you got to be? Anyways, uh, so he would do it like literally like he would, he had volunteers on his back. Now, can you imagine, I said last week, like his manager halfway, because he would do it with his manager. He'd like 500 feet in, and there's thousands of feet up. Like if you fall, certain death. Pancake, 100%. And uh, imagine like his manager on his back one day was like, you know what? I got it from here. Just put me down. The guy does not have the capacity or balance to make the way across. That is the gospel. We are born on this side. And there is no way we can cross the other side, but by faith, we can get on Jesus' back, and he can place us step by step to the other side. That is the story of the gospel, that you can't get to the other side. But through faith in Jesus Christ, he carries us to the other side on his back. And this is what Jesus has promised to do. That's the good news of the gospel. And we don't deserve it, but that's what grace is, and that's the point of the book of Galatians. See, you get what you don't deserve, a relationship with God, because he got what we did deserve, separation from him. Follow with me in verse 4. It says this, but when the fullness of time had come, I want you to highlight the word fullness. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. You know, I often get asked this question from students. Um, hey, why did, why, why did Jesus come like yesterday? Or why does he come in like 20 years? Why did he come 2,000 years ago and not 1,000 years ago or 100 years ago? Or even today with modern television and a plethora of other things. Why did he not come in a time of cameras and Snapchat? Why? Well, if you really want to answer this question, I'm going to jump into it for a second, but there's a guy named Jay Warner Wallace has a whole book on it. It's like a 400-page book. You can read that. But 600 years before the birth of Christ, the superpower of the world was the Persian Empire. Just before them was King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire. Um, he ruled and reigned the mightiest, most impressive um, government and military the world has ever seen. In many ways, they were like and are like the United States of America, 600 years before the birth of Christ. Well, they had to fall to the Persians. Why? Because the Persians were to do something the Babylonians would have never done. The Persians allowed the Jews to no longer be slaves in, their, uh, in, in Babylon. And so they freed the slaves to go back to their homeland and rebuild the Jewish temple. Why is that important? Because there's a prophecy in the Old Testament that said Jesus would have to go to the temple. Well, if there was no temple, then the prophecy couldn't be fulfilled. So God purposely allowed the Babylonian empire to be kicked to the ash heap of history so that the Persian Empire would, be, would, would treat the Jewish people well, allow them to go back to their homeland and rebuild the temple to fulfill a prophecy that was written a thousand years before this moment. Then God even used the next empire for a specific person, the, the, or a specific reason. The Grecian Empire, led by a guy named Alexander the Great, the, 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 the Greek Empire. He created an educational system the world had never known. In fact, he even pressed, impressed upon the entire world one common language. If, you know any, if you're a student of, of the Bible, you'll know that the New Testament is written in the language of Greek. It's called the Septuagint, right? And so for the very first time since the Tower of Babel in the book of Genesis, there was a one-world language that most people on planet Earth knew and spoke the Greek language. And then God used the next empire, the Roman Empire. Up until the Roman Empire, the world was always at war, in conflict with each other. And so you couldn't travel anywhere because you'd be killed or wherever it was. It was constantly at war with each other. What the Roman Empire brought was two vital things. The first is called Pax Romana. It means Roman peace. Never in human history was there a time of peace like the Roman Empire had. And so they, created, they conquered the entire known world, and they impressed upon it peace so that you could travel. The next thing that they did were Roman roads. In fact, the, 
their roads were so, so good that even uh, in modern-day Rome, they have literal roads from the time of Jesus Christ still that you can use today. And so for the first time in human history, people could travel freely throughout the world on these roads under this peace with a common language that came a century beforehand from Alexander the Great. And so all of this happened because when Jesus lived and Jesus died and Jesus resurrected, that the good news could be sent around the world on these roads under this time of peace with a common language so the gospel could be easily and readily accessible to all people. So when you think about it, all of human history is not our story, but it's his story. It's point to God's power, to God's sovereignty, and to point to Jesus Christ. And that is that God has the power to orchestrate history in his favor and his outcomes. I like to think of it this way. God is not bigger than you think. He is bigger than you can think. The same God that created is the very same God that controls the whole world. And he sent Jesus at the very perfect time because God is a God of perfect timing. Fall with me into the next verse 4 and 5. It says this. I'll I'll reread verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we we might receive, highlight the word adoption as sons. This is like so important, yet you and I, like, we just like, it, like, it like flies right over our heads. The goal of Christianity, you know, it's like, what's the whole purpose of Christianity? The goal of Christianity isn't that, that God would just say you're forgiven, pat you on the back, welcoming you into the Disneyland of heaven where there is ice cream and churros and you can eat as much as you want and you never get fat. That is not the goal of, of Christianity, right? What God did when he sent Jesus into the world was to adopt us into his family, that God wants you and God wants me to be a part of a group that he calls his, like his family. Now, when you hear the word adoption, you probably think of a modern understanding of adoption, and that is that most people adopt infants, right, really in their infant stage when they're really young. That's not how adoption worked in antiquity. You would never adopt an infant. Why? Because infants always died. Did you know that more human beings have died between the ages of one and three than any other age? In other words, most human beings that have ever lived and walked on planet Earth have died actually in their infancy. And so you would never adopt an infant because you're kind of like throwing the dice. Like, is, are they going to are they going to survive? Are they not going to survive? You have, you had no idea. So you always adopted an adult, which is super weird. Can you imagine like someone coming up to you? They're like, you're my boy now. You're like, what? <laughs> you're like, who are you? You know, like like it's kind of weird. But you would always adopt an adult. And here's what this meant. And this is good news for you and I because it means when you're an adult, it means you have a history. It means you got skeletons in the closet. It means you have a past. Maybe you have a sin list as long as a CVS receipt, right? Like you you have a past, right? And so what this means is that God who knows your entire story, all your hurts, habits, and hang-ups, all the skeletons in your closet, all the garbage you ever had, all the crap in my life and your life, all of it, who knows every sinful thought you've ever had, everything you've ever done behind a closed door, everything you've ever looked at, everything you've ever said, every Snapchat you've ever sent, every text message, whatever it may be, the God who knows all chooses you to be in his family. That is grace. You don't deserve it. It isn't something that you earn. Rather, it's a gift that God gives to you. And here's what this simply means. I try to sum it up this way. The whole story of the gospel is this. The Son of God became a son of man so that mankind could become sons and daughters of God. See, the relationship, what Paul is talking about here, the relationship that was broken when sin entered into the human story and brokenness entered into our story at the cross was relinked. It was restored. So I get this question often from from like youth, right? Like, why, why why, why did Jesus come? Well, what's the answer to that? See, God the Father sent Jesus so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Right? God intervened in human history to change our relationship with him if you wanted it. Follow with me in verse 6. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his sons into our hearts, the spirits who call out, highlight the word Abba, Father. These words bring a, like, I should have just given a whole sermon on this to be honest with you. These words bring a revolutionary idea to how you can perceive and interact with the creator of everything. What does the word Abba mean? It translates in Greek, or in Hebrew rather, 
Um, well, let me tell you the background first. The word Abba was often used in Jewish households. And it would hop and happen when someone when young and three, four, five, or six would yell out for their dad, yell out and cry out for their dad in needing of their dad because it best translates to dad or daddy. Now, here's, here is the, here's the truth, and I'm probably not going to make any friends with this. Every single person ever born on planet Earth has spiritual daddy issues, all of us. We, we all have spiritual daddy issues, and here's what we get wrong. As young adults, we're searching for so many things in life. And our arms are flailing out, right, looking for something to grab whatever we can fill our hearts. Why? Because it's around our age that you begin to be cognizant that this world isn't the way that it's supposed to be either. And you've accomplished at least, at least enough in life to know that the things in this world can't satisfy you. That relationship, that job, getting that degree, whatever it is, there's just a new mountain to climb. And so you, you have accomplished enough in your life to become cognizant of the reality that we are born disconnected from the sustainer and source of all that's good, mercy, forgiveness, purpose, all of that stuff, Right? Each morning, I, uh, I grab my daughter, and uh, I, uh, I bring her in from her little bed. She's got it's called a snoo, and I put her on the couch with me in the living room, and uh, it's this little thing called a docketot. When you're a parent, you'll figure out what it is. It's like this little pillow thing, and I place her in there, and I put her bink in her mouth, and she looks at me for a bit, and then she kind of just like knocks back out. After I, like, I kind of get her like drunk on a bottle, and then she's like, knocks out, right? And uh, about 20 or so minutes from there, she kind of like wakes up, and she has this like crazy thing. She wakes up like, have you ever been around like a baby before? They have like, they're just like crazy, right? Like, like your arms, they can't control them. Just like, you know, it's crazy. She's boxing like Mike Tyson, right? She just goes crazy, right? And I was, I, I kind of made me giggle at first, and and then she has this look of like terror on her face, and she's looking for something in the external world around her to bring her some sense of comfort, right? So she kind of like literally grasps with her arms. She goes like this. And she goes like this, she's looking around everywhere, like trying to grasp, trying to find something in the external world to bring her comfort, to let her know that she's not alone in this whole world, that she doesn't have to do this whole crazy life thing by herself. And so I, I pick her up, and I, I place her in my arms. You know, I realize that there are many people that live a very similar way. The truth is, human nature doesn't change. Now, you may get older, you may grow some facial hair. When you get older, your hair may turn to gray. You may get more money in your bank account or less, whatever it may be. But the truth, fundamental thing is human nature doesn't change. The same fear and anxiety and worry that my daughter is experiencing at four months of age, I realize that is the undercurrent and underpinning that most people operate with. So they're constantly looking out in the external world, grabbing something to make them feel like they're not alone in this world. They, have some sense, they need some sense of comfort or whatever it is, thinking that it's going to be out there, and that's the thing that's going to bring them a sense of comfort. After I pick up my daughter, I put her in my arms, and I look in her eyes, and I rock her for a bit, and I just say, Noel, I'm here. I'm here. Everything is going to be all right. And as she starts to listen to the voice of her father, she, stopped, st she starts to stop crying. Maybe you're here today, and, and your arms are kind of like just flying around too, trying to find something or someone to bring you comfort, or let, to let you know that you're not alone in this world. Maybe you're here today, and, and you're just full of fear because of all the uncertainties in your life right now. There's a, there's a plethora of them. What's next week going to look like? What's next year going to look like? Am I ever going to insert whatever it is? The truth is, in conflict, in worry, in fear, in whatever it may be, the key to all of that and what, what Galatians 4 teaches us is in those moments, you just got to listen to the Father's voice because He is talking to you, and He wants you to know that He's right here, and that He loves you, and that He wants to relate to you like a good dad relates to his children. Let me give you two applications for tonight. It's really quick, and I'll get you guys in your discussion groups. Application number one is this. Think about the reality of this. No other religion gives us the tools or the context that you can address the creator of all things. 
right, who is, begins where your imagination comes to an end, that that God you can address as dad. Because of the gospel, because of the cross, that you can enter into that meaningful and deep relationship with the creator of all things, Abba. The second application I want to give you is this. For those of us who are waiting, and you may be, you may be single or you're waiting for marriage, you may be stuck in a job you can't get your way out of, I want you to know that God is a God of perfect timing. Right? We learned that all throughout human history, we didn't go into too much detail today, I just gave you about 600 years of history, I could give you thousands, how God was orchestrating all of human history for this climactic moment that he would bring Christ into the world. The truth is, you're waiting on something, I don't know what it is. Something that's causing you anxiety, playing, uh, uh, plaguing you with worry, or whatever it is. God is a God of perfect timing, and so I'll say this. As long as you are being faithful, as long as you are being faithful, God always answers. Now, it may not be the answer that you think, but it'll be the very best thing that a good God can give you, because he's a good, heavenly father. Let me pray for you guys, and we'll get you in your grips. Father, today I'm thankful that you've adopted me into your family, that I am taken out of Adam and Eve's family with the curse of being separated from you forever and placed into Jesus' family and lineage in which I can be adopted into your family and I could be a son of you. I pray, Father, that you would continue to lead us as we go through Galatians 4 tonight. Would you fill our hearts, God, with your love that we need not go search for it in the external world. Lord, we love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to the SCG Church Young Adults Podcast. For more information about our services, events, and ways to get involved, head on over to scgchurch.org. Thanks again for listening and have a blessed day.